This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We had, we had a little bye week there. And, uh, you know, with our with our special Conan conversation, it's been a while since we talked to Wayne. So, Wayne, welcome back to Funny Books there in Polly. <laughs> it seems to be a lot of missed episodes lately. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're glad to have you back, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, we're uh, happy to have Wayne back. Even though, look, Wayne comes back for one week. And DC's in trouble. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we had we had to flash the Wayne signal. Yeah. You know? Wayne's got to come back and, and save the DC comics. And this, so, go ahead. So what's going on, Paul? What happened to my DC? Well, I don't know if you've heard about the rumors coming out of the Comics Pro uh, thing that's happening this week. You know, the uh, like the retailer convention uh, that's happening, I think, in North Carolina. Well, I heard about Phil Sablick announcing that the new Kieran Gillen comic, uh, Once and Future, uh, which is supposed to revitalize the Indiana Jones archetype, you know, type story, you know, archaeology adventurist kind of thing, uh, will will have some special retailer incentives. So it'll be fully returnable. And of course, you know, periodicals are usually returnable, except comic books aren't. You know, the 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 retailer owns them when they get them. And uh, uh, they're they're not going to do any you know variant covers or anything like that. So it's it's fully addressing what retailers have been asking for from the pop, from the publishers. And uh, Boom Studios is going to provide that book, uh, which I believe comes out in July. But no, Paul, I hadn't heard that there was trouble for DC coming out of the uh, re- retailer summit. Yes, out of the retailer summit, uh, Dan DiDio. Um, announced that DC will be cutting its line of comics uh, by another 10 to 15 percent, believing that's what the market can bear right now. Um, He says the market is just too cluttered at present and needs cutbacks. Uh, You know, there's way too many books coming to stores. Sales just aren't widespread enough, Um, you know, and looking at it, it, part of it honestly, is that the issue is Marvel is flooding the market with with books, um, with crossovers and things like that. They had 102 comics on shelves in January and 90 in December, whereas DC put out 52 in December, uh, literally almost half the books as Marvel. Um, So they're they're expecting that, uh, you know, an additional 10 to 15 percent cut on top of that. Just because, you know, I mean, they, they want to focus on books that'll sell. Uh, the, the, the market just isn't sustainable for books that are, you know, the, these low-selling books um, that that are, are expensive to produce and, and ship out. And, you know, un, unlike their, their counterparts, they don't generally do $5 books um, to make up the, the loss of the low-selling books. So, you know, they, I think it's a it, – it's whoever's – whoever the creative teams are on those books, that's a bummer. But uh, in general, I think it's probably a smart decision for sustainability in today's market. I wonder if that's still the case in a digital market. I mean, because I kind of wonder, we hear a lot about this with the stores and such. We still don't know exactly what percentage of people are going into stores buying physical books versus digital. But when it comes to the digital, you're still going through pages worth of books that are coming out. But is it that same oversaturation in a digital you know page versus the physical and along the same lines on the digital side if you sell one book or 10 it's the same sunk cost to create i mean you still have the layout you still have all of the expenses that go into the original creation of the book 
but you don't have the shipping and the printing and all of those costs. Aaron? You know, the we, we've seen uh, in the direct sales market that direct sales have reduced uh, for the second year in a row, right? Um, now, we don't know what percentage direct sales are versus uh, uh, versus digital, but, you know, I, I think the last numbers we saw is that digital was less than 10 percent uh, of the overall market. But I think that those those uh, figures are still pretty damn old. But uh, I think that, you know, the retail space continues to suffer from from uh, uh, the, from from being so almost solely distributed in the direct sales market. That You got to go to a comic shop to, to find the majority of comics. You know, you can't pick it up on a spin rack somewhere. Um I, I think that until they solve some of their distribution issues, I think that's going to continue to be a problem. Uh, I also think that that Dan DiDio is absolutely right, and who'd have thought I'd ever say that? Marvel is dominating the shelf. I mean, there's no denying that you know they dominate market share just for the fact that they just throw so much stuff out there. But of course, they also have the benefit of having a wildly successful cinematic universe, whereas DC, other than you know the recent success of Aquaman, not so much. Yeah, I think that's one thing that that Marvel benefits from for sure. In fact, some of the rumors I'm hearing is that the 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 lack of success of Justice League is one of the the reasons that DC is struggling a bit right now because the movie was poorly received so people aren't really interested in those characters from a general public standpoint which I would argue a bit because it's been pretty much proven that comic movies don't promote comic sales as much as you know people originally thought yeah. but but you know I, I I think I think Dan DiDio is right what I think we may eventually see is that um you know, maybe comics will go the way of the DVD and Blu-ray industry. Uh, they're going to focus more on the digital distribution and streamline the the physical releases. Um, you know, Comixology could, with its Comixology Unlimited program, could turn into kind of a Netflix of comics. Um, you know, if, with those out of continuity stories that or, or that publishers may be wanting to take a risk on, um, you know, can be published via that avenue. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I you know, I, but I do think that there is some fat on that bone over at DC worth trimming. Uh Terrifics for one. Um and uh <laughs> I think all of they, those new books that they did when Terrifics came out. Those are all canceled well, except Terrifics at this point. Right. Yeah. Right. Um you know, I I think there are some books that that you know just aren't aren't very good to begin with. You know, it's not that they're not just unpopular, it's just that they're not, there's not a lot of quality there. Um and sad to say, I think that you could have cut some of uh, Detective Comics over the last year because uh, Detective's not been ringing my bell, uh, which is a, which is a really rough thing to say, given that, you know, uh, that is one of our avenues for Batman. Uh, I just have really not been enjoying uh, Detective. So, you know, I, I think that I think that DC's got some retooling they can do. Yeah. If they want to save the money, they can drop Bendis. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I do think, uh, I, you know, I think Marvel actually is, is I, I'm surprised that this isn't hitting Marvel. Uh, they, they seem to be publishing more and more and more books, but, you know, maybe it's just yeah. in my head, but it just seems like the market is flooded with Marvel right now. 
I will tell you, it cracks me up that, you know, Bendis is just bringing over all of his Marvel buddies to DC. Uh, we saw this week that Matt Fraction is going to be writing the uh, Jimmy Olsen book, right? And that Greg Rucka is going to be writing the Lo- the Lois Lane book. And I, I'm just I'm highly amused that, you know, Bendis is just bringing over his buddies. I mean, how soon before Brubaker comes over? Hopefully soon. But I think Brubaker yeah. is very happy with his uh, his image deal right now. Yeah. I, you know, he's got he's got he has the the unlimited ability to print books over there at Image, according to that deal. Yeah. So I would I would love to see Brubaker on a Batman book. Again, yeah, I mean, yeah. I loved his old his old Batman stuff. I mean, he he did some great stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, um, one good thing that that happened with DC this week is that Doom Patrol started on their DC Universe service. Uh, as of the time of this recording, the second episode was released. I think last night or the night before. I have I haven't seen it. I've only seen the first episode, um, but came out to positive uh, reviews and ratings. Uh, and I saw the first episode when you said you've seen uh, a good portion of it. Yeah, there was a they released a big chunk of it to YouTube. And I think they did because it is good and they need that momentum for the DC streaming service. Yeah, it's funny because it dropped the same or the first episode dropped the same day as the first season of season of Umbrella Academy, which we're going to talk about here as well. Um in a non-spoiler, don't worry about it. Uh, but, you know, they, they are similarly themed and um, comic shows, you know, kind of quirky humor comic shows. Uh, and I got to say, I haven't seen Umbrella Academy, even though I have read the the first miniseries. Uh, but I got to say, Doom Patrol, the first episode was really damn good. Yeah, what I saw of it, I assume is the beginning of the episode uh, where it's the... It's one of the origins. Uh, it's set kind of back in time a little bit. Uh, but everything aesthetically looked good. It was dark, but the characters look like they came off the comic page. Yeah. You know, and these are characters that are kind of dark characters appearance-wise. Uh, there was quirky comedy to it, a lot of comments. I was shocked to see Cyborg on the show. So I have a question for you, Wayne. In, in the bit that you saw... Uh, was there profanity and nudity since it was on YouTube? No. Okay. Uh, so it is very much an R-rated show. Um, very much, uh, you know, lots of profanity, decent amount of nudity, um, especially in the origin story for um, Robot Man, I guess. I don't remember the character's name. Robot Man. Robot Man. Yeah. Um, you know, with Brendan Fraser. But I, I I enjoyed the hell out of the first episode. The characters are, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of meat on the bones to all the characters, and I thought they they the even though it's funny because most of the characters, the, some of the main characters, are character and voice only. Like the actor will play that character in their uh, flashback origin story, but the modern day uh, interpretation, Robot Man, it's not Brendan Fraser in the robot costume. It's not Matt Bomer. In um, you know, in the costume there, it's just their voices, but it, there's so there's a lot of emotion there, um, and they're great voice actors as well. Hmm. I, I thought yeah, it was I'm, a fantastic first episode. I'm eager to see it. Uh, I as soon as uh, DC you know fixes their distribution issue, uh, I will be subscribing. Yeah, it's it made me really want the DC streaming service on a platform where I can consume yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I'm right there with you, Wayne. 
So but uh, you guys saw Umbrella. Umbrella. Yeah. God, I'm like nine episodes into Umbrella Academy. And yeah. uh, let me let me state that I've never read an issue of Umbrella Academy. I am loving this show. And I think part of the thing that I'm enjoying so much about it is I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know these characters. I don't know their stories. So it's, I'm I am learning it as the episodes unfold. And I'm just I'm thoroughly digging it beyond the fact. I mean, I you know, they had me at, you know, talking chimpanzee. Pogo. Uh, but yeah. And, but there's so many other wonderful reasons to love this show. And it is it is just fantastic. I, yeah, I, I am I, sick. I'm six episodes in and I'm marathoning them. So they're hour long episodes and I'm watching at least three a night and it's the same thing. It, it caught me right from episode one. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's the same thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know these characters outside of this, the surprises, the gives are all actual surprises for me. And that's kind of refreshing at this point after all of the comic properties that I've seen, but I love all the characters. Yeah, no. And and there's there's no part of it where it's like, oh, you got to give it a couple of episodes for it to get going. It had me from the jump. Yeah, the uh, I love the visual, like the special effects they have around five. Mm -hmm. The uh, he's a teleporter character, but it's done very well. And I like the flashbacks to the characters as children, because the basic setup for the show is uh, on one day. Was it 43 or 63? Basically, a whole bunch of women that weren't pregnant before suddenly give birth. And a guy buys seven of them and raises them as a superhero team and family. And then the show is them in their 30s and how utterly messed up they've become because of their past. And it's a great show. I mean, I just and and it is one of the you know, the Netflix bought Umbrella Academy, bought the rights to produce this show as part of their we're getting away from Marvel and Disney. And they have pumped a ridiculous sum of money into the production of this show. It reminds me very much of uh, Star Trek Discovery and the level of production on that show as well, because these are our movie level special effects and production. There is so much thought and care taking to taken to the cinematography and just the simple. How do they reveal the title card? I mean, it's one of the things yes. I love about this show is that they don't have one of these, you know, like in the the Marvel Netflix series, they ha always have these long uh, title cards, you know, with the opening credits. And it drives me crazy. In fact, you know, I just love the, you know, skip intro feature. Well, there's no intro to skip because they work it into the show. Every time it's different. And I love it. I love it that it's part of the storytelling as opposed to here's our brand. Uh, I, ju I, I, I just love this show. And, you know, to your point, Wayne, I love every single character. I yeah. love the bad guys. I love the good guys. Uh, you know, usually I don't like those kinds of TV shows where, uh, you know, the mystery is what the fuck is going on. Uh, but I'm digging this one. And, and there's certainly an element of what the fuck is going on, but they're giving you enough in each episode that you're able to kind of put some things together. And, OK, well, this is a smaller mystery and it doesn't tie into the bigger mystery or maybe this does tie into the bigger mystery. It's just it's fantastic. Love this yeah. show. I love that it doesn't shy away from comic book tropes either. Mm -hmm. It embraces the trope and it gives it kind of a a bit more of a real world feel to it. 
Yeah, it's a great show, yeah. uh, Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm eager for you to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Now, just out of curiosity, you know, I, I said that um, Doom Patrol is very much adult content. Is Umbrella Academy similar? Not really. No, there's no nudity. Uh, there's a little bit of, of swearing, but I wouldn't call it TVMA level. Okay. Yeah, there's more than anything else. There's violence. There's some. There's and even the violence. But even the violence isn't particularly graphic. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like. Like there was a scene where uh, two guys get killed uh, in the episode I watched last night, and you're like, "Ooh, that that had to hurt," and "Oh, that guy's dead." But there's nothing that they could have easily made it uh, super gory. But what I will say is that when they do show you a little bit of what I'll I'll, I'll characterize as graphic violence, mm-hmm. it's alarming and it and it points to the story. Uh, there's one thing that happened in the episode that I watched last night where you're like, "Holy shit!" And it's holy shit because of the character that was that was wounded, as well as how they depicted it. So I, I feel like it in terms of storytelling, it's done highly effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I will say there was one character I didn't love right away, and that was Klaus. I love Klaus. Klaus is my favorite character. (laughs) Then they did something with him, and I'm sure you know exactly what. And it added so much depth to that character. And you finally – you start to see why he is the way he is, and suddenly he's one of my favorite characters too. Love Klaus. Well, so I think the uh, long story short – Umbrella Academy has a recommendation, and so does Doom Patrol. But, you know, thankfully, Doom Patrol is released weekly on the DC Universe app. Umbrella Academy, uh, at least in the U.S., I'm sure it's um, internationally uh, available on Netflix, kind of like Titans was. And Umbrella Academy's on Netflix, all all of season one right now, all ten episodes. So, Aaron, you only have one to go. Oh, shit. I, I just assumed it was 13. I never look and see how many there actually are. Yeah. Yeah. No. Damn it! <laughs> well, in comics discussion uh you know sticking with the the dc theme for a little bit uh batman 65 came out this week which is the the third part of the price of justice the batman flash crossover the latest batman flash crossover it's actually the price of vengeance isn't uh, it? whatever the hell the price of something the price of this book is too much um but <laughs> uh you know this is um you know they, they've done a, a number of these these crossovers uh this one is actually written by joshua williamson not written by tom king uh with with alternating artists and you know why i thought it was the price of justice is because the first issue is the price of justice the second issue is the price of innocence so i think the price is just the name of the crossover gotcha um yeah so uh we all picked this up and i actually got caught up on about i'm gonna say five six issues of batman Uh, Yeah, I hadn't read Batman since issue 59, I believe, was the latest issue that I'd read. So I got all caught up in time for uh, for this week's uh, discussion. It was time well spent, wasn't it, Paul? I'm sorry, Wayne? It was it was was time well spent, wasn't it, Paul? (laughs) (laughs) So I got to say, and so I'm I'm scrolling real quick because I want to say every issue of Batman since issue 60 (laughs) – so that's including 61, 62, 63, 64, and now 65. I have hated every yeah. single issue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, the, you know, so at, at the end of issue 60, it's left on a cliffhanger that Bane, that Batman um, is seeking down Bane because he, he he knows that Bane is the one who's screwing with his life. Uh, meanwhile, Fucking Bane. Yeah. 
meanwhile, um, you know, the Penguin is captured by Bane because they teamed up t- to go against Bane. And uh, at the end of issue 60, Batman's father from the Flashpoint universe, son, you know, comes in um, on the last page cliffhanger. And then we are dealt with three issues, 61, 62, and 63, of, of Batman in some type of comatose drug hallucinatory state. Um, doing battles inside of his own mind, uh, but we don't know exactly how he got there. It's hinted that he's he's strapped to a chair and, and drugged up, and this is all going through his head. Three full comic book issues, three ninety nine uh-huh. comic book issues of a battle inside Batman's head, and sixty three at the end of sixty three, he is still in that state. But sixty four takes us to a place that takes um, a, a time period that takes place during Heroes in Crisis which rewinds back before any of this shit happened. So we, we take a, a break from the story to hop into a, a different hard, story. A hard wow. break. A yeah. hard break. And I mean, I was reading them, you know, like yourself, Paul, I was behind. And so I was getting caught up on those books. And so when you go from issue 63 to 64, I'm like, what the, I mean, it was, it's a, it is like shifting gears without clutching. And I mean, I, I had to, I had to walk away from it. It was such a jarring change uh and you know came back to it on another day and let me tell you issue 64 of batman sucked pretty damn hard in my opinion um i did not care i mean the uh the artwork was jarring to me uh the storytelling was just bizarre i mean the whole justice league fight with the amazos just was weird and i i there was just something about how the story was told both visually and through the narrative that didn't welcome me in. It, it did not say, hey, here's the story we're telling. It, it was making me fight. I, I felt like I was the t- detective trying to figure out what the hell is the story they're trying to tell me for the first three or four pages. Yeah, and I, I had the I, same thing. I, I really it. struggled. I was reading it and it's like, what is going on? This is really confusing. We're jumping around places. I, I, just, I had, I didn't catch up with Batman. I did catch up with Flash though. And going into this crossover, that was kind of my big thing. Is I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. And I know what. It's not that I don't know what happened in uh, Heroes in Crisis because I've been reading that. It was that the way they start this crossover is just so disjointed. <clears throat> And they're jumping around so many places that I don't know where they're at. Yeah, it's so it, it, it's. <laughs> I, I I really did not care for this crossover, and I was looking forward to it um, primarily because the last crossover, which was the um, the button, was written by Tom King, and I think jointly written by Joshua Williamson. Uh, uh, whereas Joshua Williamson takes full reins on this crossover. This very much feels like. A tie-in book that really has no bearing on on one. We know it doesn't really have any bearing on Heroes in Crisis, uh, because it, other than loosely being related to to Wally West's death and the mourning um, that that brings Batman and Barry Allen together, uh, you know, there there's no real tie-in to it. It just kind of starts the mystery. And then now we're all of a sudden dealing with Gotham Girl, who's part of the the other ongoing thread. It's just. I'm not a fan of the art by Guillaume March on the Batman yeah. books. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of any of this. I, I think the storyline, uh, it, it's ill-placed. If 
I would have rather it have just been a miniseries. Um, now, I don't know if Flash, because uh, I, I, I pick up Flash periodically, but I don't know if the Flash is in the middle of a storyline and if this, you know, interrupted that as well. Um, yes. So it really just seems like it should have just been Heroes in Crisis, the price, as a separate miniseries instead of like literally inserting it in the middle of other storylines. Yeah. Flash is dealing with all the other forces and discovering them and going on this big worldwide, you know, trip trying to uh, discover what the other forces are and get back to being the fastest man alive because he's not anymore. Yeah. And this kind of broke in the middle of that. Yeah. Did it feel to you that uh, uh, Gillum March was aping Shane Davis's Shane Davis, Sean Davis, Shane Davis? Yeah. Shane Davis's artwork, because there are moments I'm like, wait a minute. You know, the way he's drawing it, it looks like White Knight. I could, oh, you mean um, I'm sorry. You mean, uh, gosh, who did the White Knight book? Um, he actually did the variant cover on one of these books. Uh, it's not Shane Davis. It's damn it. Um, Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, names. Yeah, they're not important. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Sean Murphy. I don't know why I was thinking Sh- uh, Shane Davis, but uh, it, it seemed to me very much like he was aping that style and not doing a very effective job at it. I, can I mean, see like that. The, the, the bug-eyed Batman on a couple of the panels and the the, the very angular uh, John nose just just seemed like he was he was working uh, Murphy's style from the White Knight book. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I for me, the art just didn't work, so I didn't really delve that much into it. Yeah. Um, I, I just really, you know, and, and I, I know I just really didn't like it. It isn't a formal review, but it, it's not a well-done <laughs> book. It's, it's, no. it's disjointed. I will say, yeah, go ahead. there are a few things I liked, and everything I liked was in the Flash issue, not either of the Batman ones. I liked the Wally thinking about Bruce and Bruce thinking about Wally. And, you know, comparing them, their detectives and their crime scene stuff that lasted for like a page. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the uh, Wally asking if Gotham Girl ever went to Sanctuary. But a lot of the rest of it, it's like Wally's calling Batman on not, you know, being the detective and looking this stuff up about Gotham Girl that I just there were a lot of leads not followed. Right. Yeah. I yeah. just don't see Batman not following those leads. Right. Now, I remember when that story happened, he started digging into them. I I can't imagine him not following all of those leads. Well, you know, I strongly disliked the first issue in this. And, and part of it was just how jarring a change it was from the story I had been reading. A story I don't like, by the way. I do not care for the for the for Tom King's current thread in the Batman book. Um, but. I didn't like issue the, the first issue of The Price. The third issue of The Price, which was this week's Batman, I think is a much better story. I think it's a much better told story. You 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 feel the stakes and whatnot. Um, I think this is somewhere where, where Paul and I divide is I actually rather like Gotham Girl and Gotham, and I enjoyed that storyline uh, earlier in, in, in the Batman book. Uh, I, I don't think that this is a particularly effective – uh, story or entertaining story, but I will say that that of the three issues I've read so far, I felt like this third 
piece of this story was not terrible. <laughs> it, uh, I, I felt entertained. I felt like my money was, was, uh, was, was not wasted on this book. I felt like both the artwork in the, in the, in this story was, uh, vastly improved from the first issue. And I felt like it was easier to follow. Uh, cause like I said, in that first issue, I, I'm like, I, I do, do not understand what's going on in this book. And you know the the scene where Iris is going through the records, I, I think that page is just beautifully drawn with with the the coloring and the light and shadow. Um, I, I think there are some actually really strong pages in the third issue. Yeah, that is a really piece. that is a really good panel. Yeah, I uh, I like the art in the Flash issue, and I like some of the panels in this uh, the third issue here. Yeah, uh, I do think it is getting the story is getting stronger. Uh, that first issue was really horrible. Yeah, it was rough. The, I enjoyed a few things about the Flash, and I do agree that I think the that it's the third issue is the best so far from a story standpoint. Yeah, that's not saying much though. Yeah, yeah. If, you know, I I feel like if I I'm going to continue through the end of this story because there's only one more, and then I'm going to pick up one more issue of Batman coming back into this. But um, if if that issue doesn't bring me back in, then I'm probably out on Batman. And I hate to say that because I've bought sixty issues of a hundred of a of a one hundred issue planned story, and I feel like I went this fucking far. Am I really gonna hop out now? But I gotta tell you, at four dollars a book, forty issues, yeah, I may hop back out if I'm if I'm not digging it. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's just not. It, it, you know, since and I've said this before, so I don't I don't want to belabor the point. But since the wedding, I feel like this book has been aimless, and maybe that's the point. But and uh, you know, I I also feel weird saying this because Tom King was our writer of 2018 and right. 2017, I believe. Uh, but yeah, just uh, I'm I'm definitely uh, not feeling it. It was uh, interesting that they mentioned the wedding too. That uh, Flash made the comment about uh, you know something about it. it Bruce and uh, Selena being happy. Yeah, about Mary Life. How's Mary Life treating you or something like that? Yeah, that kind of awkward uh, conversation. It's like, he really didn't know. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm, not digging it. I'm not digging. I'm, I'm not even digging, digging the uh, the thing, the, uh, the the crossover. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how next issue. Yeah, we'll see yeah. what next issue brings. But, you know, Paul, I know on our outline here you've got, uh, you know, Justice League number 18, but I'd like to to, to turn back the wheel a moment okay. to Justice League 17 because we've not uh, talked about it on the show. Yeah. And that is a team up with uh, Lex Luthor and uh, Martian Manhunter titled The Good, The Bad and The Dragons. And I uh, I really like this issue. It's yeah. it's beautifully drawn uh, by Jim Chung. Uh, Jim Chung and the you know writing by Scott Snyder and it's just this great story and it tells sort of a secret origin uh, tying together Martian Manhunter and Lex Luthor from when they were children um, I think this, this story is superb Paul mm-hmm. superb um, you know you, you get some 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 back history on what's going on on Mars. You, you get to, to know a little bit about the uh, Martian faith. And I mean, you know, uh, Manhunter is talking about how they, they pour their regrets into this area and that the, the psychic energy of their regrets feed these monstrous dragons in this region of, uh, of Mars. And I mean, it's just, it's great. And even Lex Luthor is affected by the story. And by the time you get to the end of the story, Lex Luthor has kind of adopted 
that uh, that that little bit of, of tradition. Um, I won't spoil anything because I think this this story is beautiful and it's 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 a nice standalone story. I mean, you could go pick this issue up and not know anything else about what's going on because they're going to tell you what you need to know in the book. Terrific story. So, Paul, I was super excited going into issue eighteen of Justice League because Ju- uh, Justice League seventeen was so freaking strong. And let me tell you, I hated Justice League issue eighteen from beginning to end. Uh, so yeah, so let's uh, let me touch on Justice League seventeen real quick. If you are a fan of the Smallville series, you can tell that Scott Snyder is because you know his Lionel Luther is pretty much cut from the same cloth as the Lionel Luther from that series. Uh, you know, historically, we've always understood Lionel Luther to be a and just kind of a a, a, a low class abusive loser. Uh, and I will say that the interpretation we're seeing in this book is that Lionel Luther was actually a genius. Um, he, 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 he had one of the keys to the universe and his memory was wiped. And that's why, you know, he, he became the man he did. And so was Lexus. Lexus memory was wiped of his experience meeting Martian Manhunter as a child and, and things like that. I will say I did not hate issue 18, but I, I found it to be a great, big screeching halt in storytelling. Um, so what happens in this Justice League book is they have a, uh, the format is they have a story arc and then they have these one-off Legion of Doom books that are just focused on uh, one of the characters or, you know, a series of characters from the Legion of Doom. And so this book is uh, essentially, whereas issue 17 is pretty much a conversation between Lex and, and, um, and uh, Manhunter, this is pretty much a conversation between Lex and Brainiac. Uh, they're, they're, it's funny how similar these issues are, is you know, in that they're flashbacks to origins and and you know and and Lionel Luther's um, you know history. Uh, but one is written by Scott Snyder, one's written by James Tynion the Fourth, who we are fans of. Uh, but I will say, issue eighteen had no no momentum to it, whereas you know issue uh, seventeen did. There was a joyfulness in the storytelling to issue 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the joyfulness is not in the tone of the story, but it's the energy that the author brought. You mm-hmm. know, it's the energy that Scott Snyder brought and that Jim Chung uh, threw on the page. And I got none of that. This just felt like an exposition dump in yeah. issue 18. Very much I, so. And I mean, I was just like, it was such a slog. I mean, I tore through issue 17 and issue 18. I'm like, good God, how many more pages is left of this? Uh, it was, it was running uphill the entire time. Yeah, I agree. I I did not care for issue 18. Um, you know, I, now I will pick up 19. I do like what's happening in the book. I I am interested in the storyline. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, it, it, it pays off, but, uh, I will say 18, uh, was, was not, I was not a fan of. Yeah. And nor was I a fan of the Pascal Ferry art. I, I do want to, you know, say that Jim Chung, you know, hops in, I think every five or six issues and, and does a, a, uh, an issue. And, you know, I think he, he is, Jim Chung is one of my favorite comic book artists. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm glad he does that. But, uh, Pascal Ferry, who I'm normally a fan of actually, uh, does the art on issue 18, but if just, it, it it's not his usual style. It's a bit more loose and a bit scratchier and a bit suckier. 
And I felt like that was intentional because, you know, the the story takes place in the mindscape that Brainiac creates. Are are you noticing a trend here in the books we're disliking? Yeah, the stuff that takes place outside of of, uh, the the physical world. Yeah, Uh, it was it was rough. It was rough. And I just I I I just didn't enjoy it. And if that was my first issue on a Justice League book or on on a comic, I would never pick up the second issue. Agreed. You know, and that that's that's a sad thing to say, particularly. I mean, again, I cannot begin to tell you how jazzed I was after reading issue 17. Yeah. Issue 17 was the kind of Justice League book I want to read. You know, uh, issue 18 is the kind of comic book I never want to read. I mean, and so I'm not even going to say it was a bad Justice League comic. I'm just going to say it was not a good comic book. Yeah, agreed. Well, we've been talking DC. We've been pretty much talking DC straight, but every once in a while we talk about Marvel and Wayne's here to fuck up the podcast (laughs) and talk about Marvel. Uh, My job. Actually, aren't you reading Return of Wolverine, Aaron? Well, well? I I picked up issue one and I enjoyed it rather a lot um, and did not pick up the other issues uh, for the same reason that I didn't pick up Hulk Vereen's or Old Man Quill. Or any of the other Marvel books that uh, that I see out there that I'm like, ooh, that looks pretty good. Uh, I think the only Marvel books I'm reading right now are the current Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm on issue two of that, and the uh, current run of Avengers. Um, I I am foregoing picking up the remaining Marvel titles that I'm interested in for one very uh, uh, strong reason, which is. Their first issues are typically overpriced, uh, $4.99 or greater, and I can get a better deal buying them collected in trade several months down the road. Um, and I've just made the decision that if that's the the, the way Marvel is going to go, if they're not going to meet me at the $3.99 price point, uh, I'm not going to meet them there. I'll wait till they put it on sale on Comixology. Uh, you know, that's what I'm doing with Champions. I love the Champions. Uh, I buy it completely in trade now, and that's what I'm going to do with these others. Hulk Vereen's looks like it's straight up Maiality. Same thing with uh, the uh, Wolverine and Infinity Stone thing. Uh, all of that looks looks great. I love uh, uh, you know the the, re- the return of Wolverine. I love uh, Old Man Ho- Old Man Hawkeye. I've uh, been reading that in trade. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot there to like at Marvel. But the pricing is such that I'm just waiting for the collections. And with so, that said, I'll let Wayne talk. <laughs> so you hit on why when uh, the new Uncanny X-Men came out, I didn't get the first issue right away. The price on it was ridiculous. and I was like, there's no way I'm getting this. And then I found out that my favorite character, one of my favorite characters of all time, but my favorite X-related character was in the book. Of course, they've ruined the character and made him a villain, but... Uh, X-Man from the Age of Apocalypse has been the major villain through Uncanny X-Men. So I started reading that, and then I got caught up with some of the other X-Men stuff kind of leading up to this. Uh, There's not a lot going on with the X-Men books lately, and they've been really good. Uh, So Return of Wolverine, I will avoid major spoilers then, Aaron, since you're going to read it at some point. Sure. Uh, Really enjoyed how they've brought him back, how they've dealt with it. They left a lot of questions unanswered. The his new, you know, heating claws. There's no answer for that. <laughs> they don't explain it in any way. 
Uh, what we know about them is that it takes a lot of his energy and it feels like it, they've taken control. Like when he would go into Berserker Rages, it seems to somehow be tied to that. But that has – there's no answer. There's nothing to do with how he came back with that. Uh, they do explain how he came back, and it is satisfying. It is very much tied to that new villain that they're dealing with, Persephone. Mm-hmm. Uh it really the series reminded me of all the things I loved about Wolverine because you go in his head a little bit and you see those different versions of him kind of come out and they've done a lot to hit those nostalgia points. I wanted to touch a little bit on what's been going on with the X-Men books leading up to this, though. There was a crossover not too long ago where they finally dealt with the original X-Men being in modern day. A younger version of Cable has killed an older version of Cable and orchestrated everything that in, that led to the younger X-Men being sent back to their time. And the current X-Men now have the memories that the younger X-Men did. They lock them away until they go away and then they the memories all pop back. Uh, younger Cable is responsible for Cyclops being alive again. And leading into the X-Man crossover, they're doing something like the Age of Apocalypse, only it's Age of X-Man, where all of the X-Men everywhere have been removed from the universe and are in this alternate reality, except for Cyclops and Wolverine because they were dead when it happened. Hmm. So Uncanny X-Men, the latest issue, is Cyclops and Wolverine because they're the only two X-Men that are in the world because they weren't really there when everything disappeared. Uh, that's kind of the state of X. It's been, it's, it's been really good. Uh, it's reminded me a lot of the things I liked about X-Men. And I know Tim is really enjoying the Mr. And Mrs. X book too. They've done some, they basically kind of brought it back to something sane because it got ridiculously spread out during the past few years. And that's kind of the, the trend of, of, uh, X-Men though. I mean, since yep. the nineties, that's just kind of what they do. They'll, they'll, they'll trim it back and then it'll get crazy again and they have to trim it back again. And I just, X-Men's too hard to be into. I, I, I think that takes a particular uh, skill set and endurance that I just don't have. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to jump back in when they trim it back and then yeah. as it gets too out of control, then I'll jump out again. Yeah. Uh, but actually the, I think it'll read really well in trade. The, Return of Wolverine, it was going to be a solid trade. Now that the last issue is out, I think you'll be able to, you know, get it pretty quickly. Yeah, I they did a good job with the return. It was all about the story that's being told, not about how he's back or, you know, they do explain how he's back, but they never do get in with the flaming claws. And I want to know what caused that still. Uh, so that led into the Wolverine Infinity one. Mm hmm. And, what they and that tried- looks super hot. That cover, I mean, I, I immediately, when I saw the cover, I immediately sent a note to Paul because that seemed, you know, right up his alley as well. You know, in, you know Infinity Gauntlet and Claws, you got to get you some of that. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I, I want to hear from Wayne. Yeah. Is it worth it? Because I didn't get it because I thought it tied into that Infinity Wars nonsense that I'm not reading. Yeah, so you remember in the beginning of this uh, Infinity Wars, like when the story first started, uh, Wolverine was had showed up with one of the stones and when he yeah. was supposed to be dead. Yeah, that was in that Marvel. It started. I don't know. It was like some 80 page giant thing that introduced the the Avengers 1000 beefs or 1 million BC and all that. Yeah. 
Yep. They dealt with that as well as this is a Wolverine and Loki story uh, more than anything else. That Wolverine is not the Wolverine that returned from the dead. It is not related to the return of Wolverine in any way. That was the future Wolverine that's bonded with the Phoenix Force doing a favor for Loki. Oh, okay. So the uh, future original... Wolverine that's been set up in, I think it was a Thor book, right? Like the the, the Phoenix Wolverine? Yes. Okay. He is doing a favor for Loki because apparently the universe we see isn't the way it originally was. Loki screwed everything up and that Phoenix Wolverine did a favor by traveling back in time and uh, taking the stone to keep Loki from getting it. Hmm. So and you... that's the whole setup for this book. Like he shows up, he gives all of that dialogue and then flies away. And then it's back to revived Wolverine and Loki hunting down the infinity stones. Cause apparently Adam Warlock has given the, uh, all of the infinity stones now have souls and they're bonding with people. Hmm. So I'm, I, I mean this with love, Wayne, but you're not talking me into it. Is it good? <laughs> no. I mean, Wolverine is really – the art is incredible on Wolverine. I think he looks great with the uh, the cowboy hat and the jacket. Mm -hmm. uh, some of his interactions with Loki are good, but essentially it's kind of a – Wolverine shows up. Loki tries to trick him. He sees weird things in the pictures of what's left of the mansion – and then here is this Phoenix Wolverine that's popping in and laying out the explanation that basically says none of that really ever mattered. Uh. And then they're off to hunt stones. I'm not getting the next issue of it. It is. Uh, I mostly just wanted to find out what was going on with that Wolverine wandering around with the stone. And now I know it was just a misdirection and it kind of pisses me off. Ugh. Yeah. Not yeah. I'm glad you were the canary in the coal mine uh, for that one for us. Yeah. Oh, and what we saw on the, that cover, of course, never happens. He never has any sort of gauntlet or uh, any of that. That cover was awesome, though. I love that cover. Yeah, it covers great. I, I mean, on, on the strength of the cover alone, I almost bought that book, but uh, I refrained. Well, it sounds like we made the right choice. But what books will we pick up next week? Because I know you're gonna about to ask. I already looked it up, Aaron. <laughs> All right. Next week, Savage Sword of Conan number two comes out from Jerry Dugan and Ron Garney. Uh, continuing the story, we have not spoken about issue one yet, uh, but we will when uh, in our next uh, Conan centric mini episode. Uh, from DC Comics, we have Shazam number three. We actually haven't spoken about issue two. I don't know if any of us read number two. I know I haven't yet. Uh, but from Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham. The conclusion of Star Trek versus Transformers from IDW, issue 5 of 5, uh, as well as Star Trek The Q Conflict. Uh, we talked about both of those books in our Star Trek with Aaron and Polly podcast. You can check that out. Go to your uh, podcast feed and look up Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, or you can check it out on iomgeek.com. Uh, hopping back to DC Comics, we get the sixth issue of Heroes in Crisis. We also get Detective Comics issue 999 from Pete Tomasi and Doug Mankey. Uh, the Flash issue number 65 uh, is The Price of Justice part five. I think it's the uh, conclusion of that crossover. And Action Comics issue 1008 uh, continues the Leviathan Rising storyline uh, from Brian Bendis and Steve Epting. 
hopping back to Marvel, we have Fantastic Four number 7, Herald of Doom, part 2 featuring Doctor Doom versus Galactus. Marvel Comics presents issue number 2. I think we if I remember correctly, we quite enjoyed issue 1. Um of this oversized anthology book. And uh, much like when issue one came out, there was an issue of Invaders on the racks at the same time. Invaders number two from Chip Zdarsky and Carlos Magno uh, comes out next week as well. So big week in comics. Very exciting. Well, uh, we'd love to hear what you think. So give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. And so. you can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram, IOMGeek, or Twitter at Ideology Madness. And we need your five-star reviews, so go to uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, uh, leave us a, leave us a review, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, we we need you to help get the word out about uh, the wonder and enjoyment, or whatever it is you get out of our podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go do that thing. Yes. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Ah. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.